Beyond Infinity. I thought I'd talk a little bit now about the incredible multimedia feast that is now available on the internet. You can just go to mars.nasa.gov and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, there really is some amazing footage that's been released and including a lot of stills photo, color, rich, high definition photos of that landing site of the latest nuclear powered NASA rover to land on Mars at Jezero Crater. And its specific mission really is to look for signs of ancient life. So possible fossil record, uh, signs of chemistry that would support or suggest the existence of life earlier in Mars history. Because Mars, even though it's now a kind of frozen desert with a I think a sort of maximum temperature of about minus 10 and drops down to about minus 90 Celsius overnight regularly. So fairly inhospitable, an atmosphere that's one one hundredth that of Earth and fairly weak gravity, I think about a third or less of the gravity on Earth. Uh, so it's, it's not particularly habitable, also very high radiation because of that thin atmosphere, not much protecting you from ultraviolet radiation and uh, cosmic radiation. So... If people are going to go to Mars, they're going to need some serious protection to avoid radiation poisoning, uh, not to mention being able to survive by you know, bringing your own air or making your air over there because there is a thin carbon dioxide atmosphere. That's the main constituent of the little atmosphere that is there. So if you can capture enough of that, you could potentially convert it to oxygen uh, to either make rocket fuel or an oxidizer for rocket fuel or something that you can breathe, breathe yourself. And one of the great uh, requirements of going, sending people to Mars to settle there or to uh, spend some extended time there is that you're going to need to be able to live off the land as much as possible. And there's actually an experiment uh, on board the Perseverance rover called MOXIE, which is going to demonstrate, it's a technology demonstrator, and it's going to test how well you can actually make oxygen from the atmosphere so it's a it's a little device uh, on board the rover that will uh, suck in uh, some of the the air that's available on the surface and convert it into oxygen that'll be an interesting technology to demonstrate and part of the effort to work out how future astronauts can live off the land there is plenty of water also uh, that's been shown to exist near or on the surface of mars so either just below in the form of frozen ice and up near the poles, there's even you know, very, very close to the surface and there's actually exposed ice at the, uh, right at the, the, the extremities of the poles. So water, oxygen from the carbon dioxide atmosphere, uh, those are things that you can use to uh, sustain people or to help the sustenance of people uh, when and if they make, make it to Mars. It is part of the, the NASA's plan, the master plan, if you like, is to go back to the moon with the Artemis mission. That's supposed to happen in 2024. That might prove to be a little bit ambitious. And, uh, and then use that knowledge and uh, experience of going back to the moon and having people uh, settle there with a moon base to, uh, to actually then take the next step and theoretically in the 2030s, to go to Mars. Now, it may be that the private sector, the likes of Elon Musk and SpaceX, beat NASA to it and uh, actually have people go there before government-sponsored astronauts make it. That, that might be how things pan out. Or it may be a partnership, a government and private sector partnership. And that's already happening with the International Space Station. There are um, 
commercial uh, crew uh, capsules, uh, one from um, one from SpaceX called Dragon, that have successfully delivered astronauts from America up to the International Space Station, and that was the first time in a long time, I think in about nine years, during which the, the uh, Americans had to rely on the Russians to get them up there. That was after the space shuttle was retired in 2011, and they had to pay millions and millions, I think in the order of about $80 million or more US dollars, to return one astronaut up and back from the International Space Station. So it's hoped that SpaceX can do it for less, and it's also an American company. So there are already examples of private-public partnerships Uh, in space. Now, just returning to the Mars 2020 Perseverance, this latest nuclear-powered rover to land on the surface, set down on February the 18th. Some amazing footage has been collected by various cameras. Now, these are sort of off-the-shelf cameras, basically, but toughened up for use in space, so very similar to a GoPro. They recorded the entry, descent, and landing from multiple viewpoints, including uh, you know, the parachute deployment uh, and the rocket-powered flight after the parachute was released, having done its job to partially slow down the spacecraft on its way from 20,000-plus kilometres per hour at the top of the atmosphere down to zero on the surface. Everything had to work in sequence, and it did all work in sequence. So from the moment of parachute inflation, the entirety of descent photos are available now and you can go to mars.nasa.gov if you want to check this out yourself and there's actually a video where NASA scientists talk you through what is actually what you're actually looking at which is really well worth looking at I was having a look at that this morning feasting my eyes on this um, you know never before seen spectacle of actually what it looks like and what it would look like for a person to actually land in a rocket on the surface of Mars and that that could be as early as uh, the 2030s if things go according to plan so very very exciting the rover also has a couple of microphones on board and they have actually sent back the first ever recordings of sound on the surface of mars or of any planet for that matter never been done before i won't bother playing it i could play it but there's not really much point because there's not really a lot to hear basically all you can hear is a Martian breeze audible for just a few seconds, as are the mechanical sounds of the rover operating on the surface, which is a constant whirring sound. As things progress, we may uh, get more uh, in the way of uh, interesting sounds back from the surface. We might be able to hear you know, the, the rover driving, the sound of the wheels crunching over the, uh, the rocky surface. Uh, that sort of stuff will be interesting to hear. And... Um, it, uh, it's also useful just to test how, how sound travels and how a microphone works on Mars. Very, very thin atmosphere, only one one-hundredth of the uh, surface pressure of Earth. So sound doesn't travel as well, and so it's harder to pick up. But you, nevertheless, you can hear uh, the sound of that uh, little breeze, a bit of a breath of wind passing over the landing site at Jezero Crater. So that's a bit of a first. There's also photos that show you the sky crane manoeuvre as the rover was lowered down on three cables plus data umbilical cord from the rocket-powered sky crane which lowered it down on these cables uh, waited for it to actually touch the surface and be safely down with six wheels on the surface and then those cables were all cut and the sky crane flew away and crashed safely uh, well away from the lander 
exactly as it was designed to do. So one of the really pleasing things about all this is that just how well the, the uh, entry, descent and landing system worked for the rover. You know, seeing the chute open is a really, really important piece of high-speed footage they've got from actually from two cameras that were looking up as the explosive powder, literally a mortar, is fired out of the top of the spacecraft on its way down, well above the surface, and uh, that's the beginning of the parachute deployment. All that's been captured on at 70 frames per second, I believe, from two separate cameras. So you can see it really clearly, and that's of use to people who design those parachutes to see that it's all working. They test it in the upper atmosphere of Earth, but they don't uh, they only get one chance on Mars. They have done the similar system, this whole system of um, supersonic parachute, the sky crane manoeuvre, and then the cutting of the cables when the rover's safely on on the surface, was actually done in 2012 with the Curiosity rover, which is still going strong and doing science at Gale Crater elsewhere on Mars. So that's another thing. If you want to, you know, another perspective on the surface, you can get that pretty much, you know, from within 24 hours, they post raw images that are taken. So you can see what's happening, you know, almost immediately on Mars, uh, on the internet. Just go to uh, NASA JPL or NASA, mars.nasa.gov. You'll find links to Curiosity as you will for Perseverance. And there is a third location on the surface which is beaming back regular images, and that is the InSight mission, which is a fixed lander, solar-powered, and that's got a seismometer which is listening for Mars quakes, and the whole purpose of that mission is to, to study the interior and gain an insight into the interior of Mars. Unfortunately, it also, well, it carried a drill which was supposed to go down several metres below the surface with a heat probe on it and measure uh, the internal temperature of Mars. That didn't work. They couldn't get it to work. It had a kind of jackhammer system on it which was supposed to hammer down. They found the soil was too clumpy and early this year, in January I believe, they gave up after, I don't know, more than a year of trying different techniques to get that mole to penetrate down uh, beneath the surface at the landing site of InSight. Uh, unfortunately, they've had to give up on that one. So it's a bit of a pity, but otherwise the other science experiments, weather measurements and the seismometer all working well for InSight, that third asset that NASA has on the surface of Mars. There are also multiple orbiters, uh, including two that recently uh, joined the flotilla in orbit around the red planet, one from the United Arab Emirates called HOPE, and also a Chinese orbiter, which has a lander, which is yet to deploy. I believe it'll be deploying in the next couple of months. So that'll be something we'll, we'll hopefully have a chance to talk about on this show. So really, really exciting. Um, there are, you know, literally hundreds of new photos that have been posted this is an upgrade this this uh, latest rover it's got better cameras on board it's got more color images curiosity takes quite a few of its images or a lot of its cameras are black and white whereas the majority of images that are coming back from perseverance are in color and they're also really high definition we're going to see some really beautiful vistas of jezero crater it's an ancient delta so a, a river entered a crater and filled it up uh, so that it was once a very wet environment like a lake and they can actually see an entry point and an overflow point so they know that this whole crater Jezero was once full of water we're talking billions of years ago maybe three and a half billion years ago because it had water they suspect that it may have been had the right conditions for life 
And so they're looking for fossilized or ancient remains of life in Jezero, and they can drive around and look at different sites. And they have a unique system, which is to take samples, cache them in the cleanest tubes that have ever been sent anywhere. There are several of these on board Perseverance. And when they think they've found an interesting uh, site, when they're driving around, they will load up one of these tubes with a sample. I believe they're about 15 grams uh, per tube. And these will be left for a future mission, possibly a European ESA, the European Space Agency and NASA combined, a combined effort to actually send a retrieval rover, which goes back, picks up these tubes, and, and then launches them to the orbit of Mars, where they will rendezvous with an orbiter, and then that orbiter will return them to Earth. And that will be the first time that we will have the opportunity to, to really look closely at direct samples that we've chosen carefully from a, a great environment, Jezero, to look for signs of life, for ancient signs of life. We can't take a laboratory on the scale with the uh, precision instruments uh, that we, we've got on Earth. We, we can't send all that to Mars very easily. The best way to study those samples and get the best possible indications of, of uh, early ancient life or signs of ancient life through those samples is to bring them back to Earth and put them in a laboratory. So that is what uh, is planned. Uh, and that, I think, is, is uh, that the earliest likely return of those samples cached by Perseverance is in the early 2030s. So not that different a time frame from when um, people are going to be possibly sent to Mars. But, you know, you've got to be open-minded about these dates that are set on this sort of thing. It relies on budget, it relies on technology, relies on the will and priorities to have these things done. Let's hope they all happen, but um, I think the most likely way that the the, um, samples that are cached by Perseverance are going to get back to Earth will be by a robotic mission. And this is the first step. So they had to take that step and they've done it with this mission. So fantastic. Also, as I mentioned, that MOXIE experiment to demonstrate that you can live off the land, you can produce something that you can breathe or you can power a rocket with as an oxidizer. That's another important thing that's being done by Perseverance. And finally, the, uh, the, the other technology demonstrator is a helicopter drone, which is going to be dropped by the rover within the next couple of months. They'll find a flat area safe to do it. They'll lower... The underside of the uh, rover has the folded up helicopter and that will be dropped down onto the surface um, after it's been fully charged. It's charging itself from the nuclear battery on board Perseverance. But once it gets dropped onto the surface, then it'll rely on a solar panel that it has on top of it, above its rotor blades, to charge up its batteries between flights. And they're talking about, I think it's four or five flights, uh, fairly short duration within, you know, sort of a couple of minutes each or maybe less. Uh, just to show that a helicopter can do it because their plan is to do future missions using helicopters and possibly bigger helicopters uh, because it's easier to get around. You're, you can do much more coverage of the surface. You can get into more difficult terrain. There are advantages to being able to uh, fly from point to point with a helicopter and then land, do some science and then take off again. That's something that they want to do in future missions. There's actually a mission called Dragonfly that is in the pipeline to go to Saturn's moon Titan. 
that's nuclear powered and that has ex- lots of experiments on board. It's actually easier to fly on Titan than on Mars because Titan has a um, surface pressure not dissimilar to that on Earth, so much more for the rotor blades to bite into. Whereas on Mars, it's much harder, so those blades have to spin really, really fast, much faster than than a drone or helicopter does on Earth. So really exciting stuff. Mars 2020, safely landed, all systems working, and I do recommend you go and check out that multimedia feast, the sky crane maneuver, the parachute deployment, and all those high-res photos that are starting to come back from the surface at Jezero Crater. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.